Hi there. To no one. To me. To you listening. So I did my podcast, um, published, or I published a podcast last week with Jai Jagdish, and I had wanted to do a video before that came out, re- kind of recapping everything that, you know, went on um, in chronological order. And I realized that was sort of a tall task to kind of give some background information on 3HO and Kundalini Yoga and all that. And I also realized, you know, I kind of want to stop talking about it. So <laughs> I'm not going to talk about that today specifically, but I wanted to do a podcast about inspiration in general, um, something that she made me aware of that I hadn't given really much thought, you know, to was the title of my podcast, which is kind of funny. Um, I just sort of consider it like a conversation podcast and um, just kind of delving into this word of inspiration and what it means and what it means to feel inspired. And, you know, as an artist or as a, a liver of life, as a human on this planet, I have had some, you know, issues with getting motivated to do things that I feel like I should be doing, um, music related. And I'm working on that. And I, in the kind of the process of finding a therapist, thank you, Oshri. Um, that's not my therapist, but he helped me find her. Um, I just, I had this epiphany last week that, you know, doing the mantra music wasn't just, it it wasn't just the fact that it was sort of the first time in my life people had been receptive to my music, um, which felt really great, but it also felt like it had um, a purpose. Like it was the first time in my life that I felt like I was doing music and it had this like greater purpose and that gave me reason to do it. It made it fulfilling and it made me feel like I had a purpose. And, and I know that cults do that in general. Like I listened to, um, Leah Remini, uh, talk about her experience with Scientology. And of course, like Jai Jagdish, she was born into that cult. Um, and I was not born into a cult, but I think for years I had been looking for that kind of experience. I really envied my friends who grew up religious, for example. And, you know, as adults, I can see that that wasn't like the, the rosy experience that it looked like from the outside, but just having kind of a built in sense of purpose kind honestly, like a built in kind of meaning to life. Like that's a big deal. I don't think, I I don't think that I was raised with the sense that there was like a meaning to my life, not because anybody ever told me like there is no meaning or purpose to your life, but it was just like, okay, you know, why are we here? (laughs) And it was just kind of this question that was like, oh, that's interesting that you're asking that. Don't have an answer. Um, So I think I was kind of searching for something definitely that gave me a sense of purpose. And the first thing that I found, this is so strange and eerie. The first thing that I found was raw food and I found it through this restaurant, Pure Food and Wine. And what happened to me two days ago, but I'm on Netflix and this movie or this Netflix documentary limited series called Bad Vegan comes up. So if you've seen this, you know what I'm talking about. 
um, which is about this raw food restaurant that I went to um, in 2006 or something, something like that, that inspired me, we're talking about inspiration, that inspired me to become raw vegan. Now, I am no longer eating a raw vegan um, diet. However, I did that for about two and a half years and in my 20s. And this woman, Sarma Melangalis, was basically also had like a very similar experience to mine, except hers seems way worse. Um, but she was, you know, indoctrinated into a cult. It was a cult of one, but it was a, you know, a cult nonetheless. And was, you know, scammed out of millions and millions of dollars. And that's why that restaurant isn't there anymore. And I just thought, man, that the ties between, you know, all these people, you know, that I, you don't think as significant, but she was a really big influence for me and in finding meaning um, because I was like, well, maybe, you know, maybe there's meaning in, maybe I will feel like I have meaning and purpose if I am eating a completely, you know, I thought like if I'm eating the perfect diet, right? And, you know, it turned out it wasn't, there was no meaning or purpose in that, the beyond, you know, feeling good, um, which is interesting. Like, is feeling good the purpose of our life? You know, some people would have us believe so. That doesn't feel, it doesn't feel enough to me. Like, just feel good. That just doesn't feel, um, you know, because if that were, if that were enough, I guess, um, then just kind of making music, you know, in my, in my studio or singing to myself, I guess, would have felt like enough. And I've, always wanted to share what I do. I'm looking into that more. I think as musicians, it's important to look at why we want to share. You know, am I sharing because I want people to pat me on the back and tell me how great I am? Am I sharing because I feel like it's going to help people? Am I sharing because I want to make money? And I don't necessarily think any of those things are um, more commendable than any others, because in the end, you know, it's, you're doing those things because it gives you a sense of purpose. Like it's selfish anyway, whether you're helping somebody or you're just trying to make money, like you're doing that for yourself. Right. Um, even if you're doing something for others, you're like doing that for others because it ultimately it makes you feel good. Right. It makes you feel good about yourself. Um, and if it doesn't, then maybe it's just draining, but, uh, yeah. So, I thought that was, I thought that was so crazy. I'm like, you know, um, I had her cookbook and I, I worked at a restaurant in LA called Euphoria Loves Revolu Revolution that, um, he also had like kind of a famous cookbook in the circle. Um, and they used some of her recipes and there was kind of, you know, it was this very small, small community of people. And I was talking with my friend, uh, couple days ago, actually, that I just reunited with after like 11 years. Um, we worked at that cafe together in Santa Monica. And it was it was like an alternate universe. You know, I, I don't know if I would love to hear from from y'all about this, like, if it was really difficult to understand from that documentary, Bad Vegan, how on earth that would happen to somebody like it just seems so it's like, why would you give him that money? That's stupid, you're gorgeous, and he's a total, like, loser, you know, like, it was very, 
from the outside seemed so obvious, right? But like, it, it doesn't, it didn't seem that it, you know, things don't seem the way that we see them when we're in them. And so I totally, I could totally relate to why she would have been in that vulnerable situation, first of all, because that's how I got into a cult. I was in like a vulnerable situation. Um, I actually like, it's called situationally vulnerable. It's something, a, a word I was introduced to through this podcast. And she was willing to believe things that maybe most people aren't, but I was too. You know, I was willing to believe that, and I observed that eating raw food, the normal laws of reality didn't apply in certain ways. So, uh, you know, bear with me here. But for example, I had this experience when I was living with a roommate in Santa Monica. I was eating 100% raw vegan diet. Okay, good for me. Um, and I, because I was living with my roommate and I was seeing her eat like some cooked stuff, I decided to make something in the oven. Don't, I don't even remember what it was. Um, so this was kind of a big deal because it's kind of like, you know, if you're vegan and you decide to eat meat, like this is in the raw community, <laughs> like eating something cooked is sort of viewed that way, which is kind of crazy. Um, so I was about to eat cooked food, like bad cooked food. And I, so I turn on the oven. So mind you, I haven't worked an appliance, you know, that gives fire for quite some time, right? And I turn on the oven to like 350 or whatever. And I've never used the oven before. And I didn't realize that you had to light the pilot before operating the oven. So I open it and I'm like, it's not hot here. And she's like, oh yeah, you have to light the pilot. It's been on for, it's been preheating. Well, you know, not really, but I thought it was. The oven had been preheating for like, 10 minutes, something like that. So I go in my <laughs> wonderful um, innocence, I guess, uh, with my, you know, my little, what are those things called? They're like those match, they're not matches, but they're like plastic things that have, that create flames. Anyway, you know what I'm talking about. You go click and the, the flame comes out. So I go click, the flame comes out and this fireball comes out of the oven, right? It like burns off my eyebrows. And I get a really bad burn down here. I think it was a second degree burn. Don't quote me on that, but it was not the best kind you can get. It was like worse than the best kind you could get. So I did need medical attention. I went to the ER, they gave me some like silver cream and I hadn't, you know, I hadn't taken medication in a really long time. I was eating really like uber clean. So I did not want to apply this even though it was painful. I watched this horrible burn that went all the way down my arm. I mean, you can see there's like nothing there, right? I watched this horrible burn just like disappear in the span of a couple days. It was, I was like literally watching it go like and no scar, nothing. Now, I don't know if that's normal or not. It didn't seem like it was though. And so, you know, that was sort of one of my like reinforcing um, things about hey, raw food, you know, gives you superpowers. <laughs> like I have the power to heal my body super quickly. And in a sense, I sort of do believe that. Like if you're eating, you know, a very clean diet, um, I don't eat anywhere near that clean now, but like still very clean. Um, then I feel like, you know, there are certain things that you just don't have to deal with that maybe everyday people do. And they think that they're normal based on, you know, the Cheeto diet that they're on. Um, 
but you don't because, you know, you're your system works quite immaculately. And in that instance, also I was in my twenties, you know, um, your system, my system worked pretty well. So that was one example, but I just remember things like that. You know, people would tell you like, you don't have to deal with, you know, some of the things that you have to deal with in old age. That's not going to happen to you because you take this or you don't eat this or, you know, whatever. So there was kind of this, um, idea that like normal problems don't happen to people in that, Things. So I could see that it's not a huge stretch for someone to believe that like spiritually speaking, and I know this wasn't food related, that she could be in the presence of somebody that could, you know, make her and her dog immortal. If you haven't seen the bad vegan documentary, then the guy um, that she's with that she ends up marrying convinces her that he's like, you know, this basically kind of a deity and that you know, he can bring her into the fold, but she just has to keep giving him money. So really, really eerie, but it did make me think about like the ways that we can be manipulated. It made me think about how trusting she must have been. And my heart goes out to her because, you know, I'm a trusting person too. So I feel like, you know, we wouldn't necessarily have done all the same things, but it's, you don't know unless you've been in those circumstances what you would do. So it's hard. It's definitely hard to judge. But I have been. So anyway, I kind of went from like that cult, this like cult of believing that like no human problems were relevant to me because of the diet that I ate to, you know, no human problems are relevant to me because of the Kriyas that I do. So it wasn't a far stretch to go from that to the, you know, the the cult of, of uh 3HO and Kundalini Yoga, honestly, because there seemed to be a remedy for everything. And I was like, well, you know, I kind of want to eat pasta. So maybe if I just eat pasta, but do the Kriya, it'll have like the same effect. And then, interestingly enough, I never found that the Kriyas worked as well as just eating the raw food, but the raw food was like really hard socially. So I, I stopped doing that and I started eating the mung beans and rice and all that. Um, but yeah, this isn't a podcast about diet, but finding, you know, finding purpose. It's finding purpose after you've been in a cult is a crazy, it's just been like a crazy experience. I don't know, especially in the midst, I guess, of, you know, everything fell down right before COVID. So it's like even like a semblance of purpose that I had that was maybe based in like, I don't know, going places or um, being allowed to see people or things like that, like that was also taken away. So my sense of, I mean, this is a realization, I, like I said, I've just had really recently, my sense of having a purpose like in on earth, you know, forget my music, but also in my music has, has really, I've really felt that void. Um, and that's hard. That's really hard. I'm, I'm guessing more people than just me can kind of relate to that because, you know, there was a reason for my life. There was a reason to do specific practices. There was a reason to be, you know, drinking specific tinctures and teas. And there was a reason to be eating a specific way. And there was a reason to show up somewhere on a Sunday. And there was a reason to go somewhere twice a year and gather in community, and there was a reason to do this strange, you know, white tantric yogic practice. 
there was, it felt like there was purpose in it. Um, and finding out that like, it's just sort of the, you know, machinations of a sociopath and that you've found meaning in something that's actually quite meaningless is, is really heartbreaking. So I was telling my brother, he was visiting the other day and I was telling him cause we were making like, um, he bought a pineapple that was underripe and so he wanted to do something with it. So he wanted to make a pineapple upside down cake. So we were on the hunt for all the pineapple upside down cake ingredients and he had to buy pineapple juice. And I remembered during the, there was some atomic, some atomic explosion that happened, I think in Russia, um, like in 2011, that uh, happened during the recording of, of my first uh, CD with, uh, with Satdarshan, The Music Within. And I remember that people were sharing, like we recorded that atomic radiation meditation um, I'm rolling my eyes if you can't see. It's like, <laughs> Jesus, if you've been exposed to radiation, don't do a fucking meditation. Oh my God. I mean, feel free to meditate, but like get some atten get some medical attention. Um, but yeah, the the like drink that you were supposed to drink was pineapple juice. It was, I think it was like a pineapple and tomato juice mixture. I I can't remember. Who cares? But but I, you know, I was telling my brother sort of like reminiscing about like, oh yeah, like I used to think that you could drink pineapple juice and that would, you know, cure you from radiation poisoning or, you know, exposure to, to um, an atomic blast. And he was like, he was like kind of sarcastically like, yeah, that sounds real legit. And I'm going, I'm like, yeah, I guess it doesn't. But man, in the context of like, where I was and who I was around, it did seem legit because so many people were believing it, you know, like as a, as a, if you're in part in a culture and everybody around you is legitimizing the things by believing in them and practicing them and talking about them as if they're truth, even something is, you know, as seriously ludicrous as pineapple juice cures, you know, <laughs> cures exposure to an atomic blast. Gee, if only the people in Hiroshima knew about pineapple juice. I mean, it's like, it's almost, it's cruel, right? Um, I don't know. It seemed, it seemed possible. I, that's the only thing I can say. It's like, I think it's also, I think it's also, and this is not, I don't think a bad thing, but I think it's good to be skeptical of mainstream, you know, medical science. I think that there is some validity in, in questioning some things. For example, like I had, you know, a thyroid issue. That's how I got into yoga in the first place, not Kundalini yoga, but just um, like vinyasa yoga. Uh, I was told I'd have to take thyroid hormones for the rest of my life. And I was like, well, that sucks. I don't want to do that. So you know, I found, I, I found somebody who was like, yeah, if you do, you know, if you do yoga and you blah, blah, blah. I don't know if that was, it, it's like, you know, you, blah, I don't blah, blah, blah. <laughs> if you, you know, she showed me this exercise where you like move your tongue around your teeth kind of in a circle, stimulates the thyroid gland. There were a few like, you know, if you do, um, what plow pose and things like that, it's supposed to stimulate the thyroid gland. I, I think later on I discovered that like eating wheat and, um, to a certain extent, dairy, especially like in milk, um, 
caused inflammation that really affected my thyroid health. So um, now I feel I feel fine. I don't take thyroid medicine, but I think that 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 thing kind of got me skeptical of like of you know maybe maybe Western medicine doesn't know everything. Um, you know, maybe there's some validity, but that just sort of opens up this like Pandora's box of, well, then anything is possible, which is also not the case. So I think we can kind of go too far in either extreme. It's like, you know, the only thing I trust is Western medicine where Western medicine doesn't have a great track record with chronic illness and actually like solving things as opposed to sort of masking them. Western medicine is awesome for emergency situations. You know, you definitely want that, um, you know, that uh, ER care or like the, you know, the antibiotic when you're, when you've gotten an, you know, a horrible infection all of a sudden and, you know, you're about to die, like definitely get me some Western medicine. But, you know, you're suffering from anxiety that they don't have the answer. <laughs> they don't have a good one anyway, in, in, in my estimation or you're suffering from, you know, digestive issues or things like that, you probably, you probably need something different. You probably need a dietary change. You probably need, I don't know. I mean, I'm not a doctor, so I can't speculate, but you know, it's, it's those sorts of things I feel like that get people into crystals or into, um, <sighs> vaginal steaming and th you know, it's like you, you're search, you're searching for answers where Western medicine isn't providing them. So I think that that's valid. Um, but I just think that sometimes it can kind of go in the direction. And I already said this of like believing just anything, um, which is also not, so it's also not positive. So I think the, I mean, definitely the hugest takeaway for me was like, Having an open mind is good. Having an open heart is good, but also trusting your gut when something sounds fishy, you know, um, that's not, that's not, a, that's not a limiting belief as people would say, you know, it's like when something sounds bullshit, like a, like bullshit, you know, trust yourself, trust yourself that that's not right for you. It might be right for somebody else, but it's just not right for you. Right. Um, so I think tuning that skill is something that I'm, will continue to work on and, you know, um, in my pursuit of meaning, because, you know, part of the thing, part of the thing in finding purpose is that you have to also find something to believe in. So, you know, no matter what we're doing, it's like, I'm doing this podcast because, um, somebody canceled and hopefully she'll. I'll get to post her episode next week when I, when I have it, but, um, she, uh, she, anyway, I won't talk about her because, um, I haven't met her yet, so I won't, I won't get into that, but, um, but I think we will be having a little bit of discussion about purpose and, and creativity and stuff like that. So I'm looking forward to it, but yeah, I, I do struggle, um, to find kind of meaning specifically, I think, um, you know, generally in life, as I said, but specifically in music, specifically in why, what's the point, you know, I was talking to my friend 
the other day and I was like, there's so many good singers. Like there's so many great singers. I, I don't, I, I'm not, a, I'm not competitive by nature and I don't really like feel the need to assert my, um, my voice over the crowd. And I'm not really into vocal gymnastics and like, um, impressing people, you know, not that like, um, I have any, that there's anything wrong with that. I think that that's really cool. There are people that are like awesome, you know, like they're like on, you know, can my idioms are not so great, but like on a dime, I think that's the expression, can just sort of like whip out, you know, like this really impressive belt or something, or, you know, they'll do that. And that feels really good to them, you know, and power to them. That's awesome. But I always, when people would always, would ask me when I was a kid, like, oh, so I hear you sing, sing something for me. My, my expression, my like instinct would be just to sort of like shrink almost like this, like, I don't want to have to prove anything to you. Like my voice is for me, you know, it's not for you. Um, so that's been interesting, I think, in my, in my musical um, career is like finding that balance where I feel that I want to be singing for people because I feel like it's an offering, but not as like um not as like a way of proving my worth. And I wonder if that's something that other musicians um, are aware of or, or struggle with. I don't think I've ever had a conversation um, with somebody about, I mean, I sort, sort of with my friend Andy the other day, um, but you know, like this, this, this struggle has been real for me. You know, I, I, I will not lie. Like I, when I was doing my singer songwriter thing before doing the mantra music, it, I, the reason I started doing mantra music is that I just stopped singing. Um, I stopped singing my, my songs because I just felt like they were making me feel bad. And it's interesting. I keep coming back to like the feeling good, feeling bad. So I think there's something in there. I think this is part of our purpose, but, um, yeah, but so I stopped actually singing entirely and I just kind of intuitively knew like I couldn't keep using my music as a like a vehicle for public therapy, I guess would be the the best explanation of it. Like they they were so raw and um, the songs, they were so raw and personal and it just sort of felt like, I don't know, like, like walking on stage and just undressing in front of everybody. It was just, it was too, it was too much. And I, I think also I didn't realize how sensitive I was to, to energy afterwards. So maybe if I had been able to, you know, create a buffer for myself after performing, as opposed to like going and talking to people, maybe that also would have, would have helped me. But well, for whatever reason, I couldn't sustain that and stopped singing. And then I started meeting uh, kirtan artists in Santa Monica because there was quite a big scene there. And, and that seemed purposeful. Like everybody that sang, I sang with um, Cece White in particular, she had, there was purpose. Like she was getting people involved. She was making them 
feel joyful. She was bringing something to them that they actually wanted and needed, which felt really different than trying to convince somebody, you know, by performing that you were worth listening to. It was a very different dynamic in the Kirtan scene than it was in the singer-songwriter scene, you know, because I would show up as a singer-songwriter and I would be like, I hope you like me, you know, not saying that, but like <laughs> the energy of that. But, you know, you show up in Kirtan and nobody even has to know who you are. They know what kind of experience they're likely to get. So um, that that was really cool. Like people already kind of implicitly trusted that they were going to have a great time. And that's a really great place to start from when you're, when you're performing as opposed to... Um, as opposed to the singer-songwriter thing that I was that I was dealing with. Once you start to get notoriety as a singer-songwriter, obviously people show up and they expect to, you know, they expect to have a good time and they expect to like your music. But um, that that time when you are playing your new songs and you're unknown and you know all that, it it does sort of feel like you're trying to convince people of your worth, and that is. <sighs> Something that I really admire um, in, in other people that have been successful in this genre because that's, that's no easy feat, I guess. And, you know, maybe possibly it's just that they're not even thinking of that. You know, it's just like, this is fun and I keep doing it, you know. And I, I don't know. It's not my makeup, I guess, but in some ways I, you know, even, even with like the Kundalini Yoga stuff, I was talking with Gudani Sean and I was like, I kind of wish, I mean, I don't because I like myself, but I kind of wish sometimes that I could just be like, oh, that was bad. All right, let's move on. You know, let's keep doing the grief <laughs> or whatever. Like the way some people have kind of um, kind of registered all this stuff so differently from the way I have and the way she has. Um, and Guru Nishan does that um, uh, uncomfortable conversations, the untold stories of 3HO, I think is the title podcast, which is really great. Uh, it's pretty heavy, really great. Like, yeah. <sighs> so, so yeah, I mean, I guess that's, you know, it's like the, the burden of the overthinker, I suppose, um, is that I, I do think about purpose and I do think about meaning a lot. And if something doesn't feel meaningful or if it doesn't seem like I have a purpose in what I'm doing, then it's kind of deflating. And I haven't regained that, to be honest, with my, my compositions of late, even though I really, I really love them and I'm excited to write them when I, when I sit down. Um, and who knows, maybe it's just that, you know, I moved and I don't have a community to sing to anymore. And I've been, you know, we've been isolated for a couple of years now. We're all just sort of starting, sort of starting to emerge from the lockdown energy. And, you know, maybe I just, maybe I just don't have purpose in it because I'm not singing it for people. That's possible. So time will tell. And we'll tell how how this all um, plays out. But anyway, I thought I would just share that um, when I was talking to Andy about it. Um, Andy Flax, who's a, a really beautiful soul and musician in her own right. Um, she 
texted me and was like, you should do a podcast about the difficulty in finding purpose after leaving a cult. And um, I think she, I think she's actually talking about like a whole podcast series. I probably won't do that because I don't want to belabor the cult thing for the rest of my life. But, but you know, it is a thing. It did happen. Um, I am emerging from it continually every day, shedding layers of it still, you know, um, I've come a long way. I've come a really long way from like, you know, going to the grocery store without my turban and hoping that nobody, I know that I don't run into anybody, right. Or like buying, I don't know, posting photos of me eating fish or something on, on Facebook, you know, like just the fear, the fear of coloring outside of the lines and being shunned for it. And I think it wasn't even so much the shunning of other people, but like the way that I felt about it because of the, the indoctrination that I had done to myself, which is a very interesting tactic of the cult leader. I learned where, you know, you don't even have to um, convince people of things anymore because You've done it so many times and through so many different people that people now police themselves. Uh, very, it's a very interesting phenomenon. So I was definitely policing myself. And I think that that kept me from doing things that I was inspired to do um, for a while. Thankfully, not that long. But um, things that, you know, my, my partner, who's never been in a cult, <laughs> Uh, is kind of, you know, it's kind of quizzical about, you know, me when I told him that like, it was a really big deal for me to cut my hair, even though it was like, you know, that much. Um, because I hadn't in eight years, he was like, like, people, people would judge you for cutting your hair. That's like, you know, it's like to him, it's like people judging you for using a fork, you know, like, that's, everybody does that, don't they? Well, no. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's been an interesting ride. Life is an interesting ride. And I suppose that's all I have to say about that. So for this one in particular, I'm really excited to hear back from people. I don't know how many people are aware of the fact that I have a YouTube channel now devoted to my podcast, which is called Inspired Artist Podcast, super creative on YouTube. Um, so you can check out the videos uh, that I have there. So um uh, you know, if you want to see what's going on, not just this episode, but every episode that I've done pretty much gets put up as a video. So you can see the conversation, not just listen to it. Yeah. So I think that's it. Um, have a wonderful weekend and I will be interviewing. I think her name is pronounced Amy Gaston, but we will, <laughs> we will get back to you on that. Who, um, seems like a really amazing, uh, amazingly acclaimed um, activist and singer that I will be talking to next week. So stay tuned for that and I will catch you in the next episode. All right. Bye.